It's time for Sports Wrap on 760 WJR. All right, this is the wrap on 760 WJR. To a car phone we go. Dave, thanks for hanging on. You're on 760. Gentlemen, and Stephen Dan, you got the chemistry. It's cooking. Presented by FanDuel. Download the FanDuel Sports app today. FanDuel, more ways to win. Are you calling us from your office? I'm doing Sports Center tonight. With, Are you uh, really? Dan Patrick. Well, yes. I'm very impressed. By the way, give Dan our best. He's a good man. And, I will. Uh, hey, hey, Dan. Chuck Swirsky says hi. This is the best sports rap has ever been, in my opinion. Now, here's your host, Chris Renwick. Happy Saturday to you. Welcome into Sports Rap. And he did it. Me, Miguel Cabrera with 3,000 hits, 500 home runs. He joins a, an elite class in, in baseball history. The Of the six players... Who have both 500 home runs and 3,000 hits? You tell me if this isn't a, a, a list of lists. Hank Aaron, Albert Pujols, Willie Mays, Eddie Marie, Alex Rodriguez, and Rafael Palm- Palmero. He joins now two other Tiger greats on the thir- list of now 33 players to have recorded 3,000 hits including Ty Cobb, who sits number two with 4,189, and Al Kaline with 3,007. Um, look, I, I think the way that Miguel Cabrera has approached his chase for 3,000 has been incredible. All the, the, the happenings around game three of that Yankee series, all of it's wiped away. Miguel Cabrera gets 3,000 hits. And look, I... I home run, double, it, it didn't matter. Does a single, blooper, whatever it is. A hit's a hit, Miguel Cabrera gets it done. And, and here's where I think I find what Miguel Cabrera has done in his career, at least most recently, over the last few years or so, what I find to be most incredible about Miguel Cabrera. With all great power hitters, you eventually see the decline you eventually see where they don't have the power that they once had, or they can't chase the pitches like they used to be able to, or or, or they just aren't the same player that they were when they were 10 years younger. And Miguel Cabrera has found a way to continue to be an integral part of this team and this organization. Most recently this year, turning the glove over at first base to Spencer Torkelson, or, or telling the team that however whatever Javi Baez is doing, that's what we're doing. We're following Javi. Those are big-time leadership um, attributes from a veteran, from a, a surefire Hall of Famer that you want to see, even after maybe some of the power is gone, even after the production has dropped off over the last half a, half a decade. And with that, you, you evolve into a different player on the team, and that's what Miguel Cabrera has done. And so for somebody who has given this city so much, He's given this city everything outside of a, of a World Series, which, of course, is the ultimate goal. But he's given this city countless milestones to cheer for, and he did it again, and this time he got it done. Um, look, <clears throat> Miguel Cabrera certainly is going to pass Al K-Line in hits this year. Um, you know, Ichiro Suzuki had 3,089 hits in his career. I don't know that he's going to get there. Um, Ricky Henderson with 3,055. Is it possible he tops Ricky Henderson? Sure. Um, so look, I, I, I think that the way 
the Miguel Cabrera has handled himself during this time has been incredible. And and I and look, I it's hard to say like who's the greatest tiger of all time. Right? Like it's it's hard to to measure that. But I I think that when you put him in the pantheon of tiger greats, he's up there. You know, you look at Ty Cobb Al Kaline, he's up there. He's the top 3 for sure. Whether he passes those guys as as really productive, you know, Tiger greats, it's up to you. It's subjective at this point. But this guy is the is is truly one of the greatest hitters I've ever seen. He's the greatest hitter I've ever seen in the old English D. And and Jason, I know you're a big Tiger fan too. What 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 does this mean to you? That that Miguel Cabrera with 500 home runs, 3,000 hits. What does that mean for you, for, for you, for a lifelong Tiger fan, for somebody that's that's watched this team uh, excel and then tank and then everything in between? What, what does that mean to you? Well, it's 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 truly remarkable because, like you said, this is the greatest hitter we've seen in the old English D in our lifetime. So to to see this player come here, um, what year was it? Like I I forget which year he came here. Uh, um, but uh, to just watch him over the years and to see him uh, do what he did, winning the uh, batting title, and it, it's just been remarkable because uh, in sports nowadays, there's not a lot of longevity with a lot of players. <laughs> um, and and to see something like this is it, it's remarkable. And I was just looking up players who may reach three thousand hits next, and. Probably, uh, it's probably going to be uh, Jose Altuve, who might on the list have the most longevity, and not a lot of people are going to be celebrating that. He he continuously still gets booed. Yeah. Uh, so um, for for uh, for for Tiger fans, for baseball fans, it's just it's it's been it's just been awesome watching him over the years. Miguel Cabrera traded to Detroit in 2007. Okay, I was going to say 08. Uh, and do you remember the details of that trade? Do you remember who who was shipped and and who we got? Do you remember? Yeah, uh, we we got Dontrell Willis as well. Yep. I can't remember who we shipped. Uh, most notably, Cameron Mabin. And then he returned actually a number of years later. But Cameron Mabin, yep. uh, Andrew Miller were the big names in okay. that trade as well. So uh, it's been since 2000 and, and really eight where Miguel Cabrera has been in Detroit. It's 2022, right? Like that is incredible. It's incredible. The longevity he's had. And really, look, it hasn't been what it's been only the last five years where he's really taken a hit statistically. He just hasn't hit for power the way he did. Uh, haven't been able to, to reach all the portions on the plate like he used to. But with all of that being said, the dude is, he was an animal. I mean, he was an alien the way that he could hit the baseball. Um, and so, look, I, I'm, I'm thrilled for Miggy. I know that, that he's been really focused on just winning baseball games. Um, but, but for Miguel Cabrera, it's been great. And, and, I, and when I was down at the ballpark Thursday, talked to a couple of guys from, from Venezuela. Um, they've lived in the United States for about six years. They've never been able to see Miguel Cabrera play here in Detroit. They said they went and saw him once when he was in uh, Miami playing for the Marlins. Um, but a lot has changed since 2000, 
2007. God, look at those. Look at those highlights of Miguel Cabrera in Miami, and oh my God, just a skinny thing. He's a he was a twig. <laughs> he was. It was incredible, and he still hit for a ton of power then. Yeah. He, he's, it, it just what he's been able to do has been incredible. Look, I, I don't know if he if he's like the all time Tiger great. I, I don't know that to be the case. Um, but Miguel Cabrera is certainly the best I've ever seen in this uniform. Um, and and I'm I'm just so thrilled that he's been able to do this and especially coming in, look to play from a fan perspective for, for a, a a city that's just been through so much uh, for a community dealing with a global pandemic, you know, not being able to see, you know, there, there were a lot of people I think last year that would have liked to have seen or, or would have tried to have seen Miguel Cabrera hit for 500 home runs but they just maybe weren't comfortable going to the ballpark yet. Um, it's it's really cool being able to get it done in Detroit, having that support system, that fan base behind you. It's incredible, and and I you got to tip your cap too to the Tigers because I think that they've done a, a marvelous job, especially in game ballpark stuff of of hyping people up, getting him, getting getting everybody ready for another Miguel Cabrera at bat. Um, and it's just been wonderful. I, I think they've done a great job with it. I think everybody has been a, a, a pro's pro all the way around. Now, I want to address this too. Everything that happened with the Yankees, right, with with the intentional walk in the bottom of the eighth on Thursday, do you think we're seeing the birth of a, of a new rivalry uh, here in the city of Detroit because of that move that Aaron, Aaron Boone pulled? Uh, whew. I'll tell you what, um, the, the, the Tigers and the Yankees, have had uh, some some good playoff series and stuff over the years. Mm-hmm. This could now they don't come back this year, right? The Yankees won't be back here this done year. this year. We make the trip to 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 Yankee Stadium once, uh, and that's it. So we won't see the Yankees back at, at Comerica Park until next year. So we'll see uh, what what kind of uh, we'll see what happens when they go to New York to see if they still uh, have that in the back of their minds. I hope what so. Happens, which I I think they will. I, I think you're right. Um, all right, I'll tell you what. We'll take a quick break. Coming up on the other side, I want to talk about this Debo Samuel situation out in San Francisco. Debo Samuel asking, no, demanding to be traded. He wants out of San Francisco. We'll tell you why. It, it, by all accounts, doesn't have anything to do with, with his contract. He wants out. There are teams around the league that would be very, very interested in Debo Samuel. Who's on that list? I could probably name a few, and perhaps even the Detroit Lions. You want to see him in Honolulu, blue and silver. Talk about that next as Sports Rap continues this evening right here on WJM. Now back to more Sports Rap. Presented by FanDuel. Download the FanDuel Sports app today. FanDuel, more ways to win. Here's Chris Renwick. All right, welcome back into Sports Wrap. Uh, look, the way that the NFL is structured, we've got football year-round. And look, we're getting closer to the draft now in a couple days. And I, I, I think it's interesting some of the dynamics that are happening in the NFL right now. You see it every year. You got guys 
threatening to sit out. Le'Veon Bell did it with Pittsburgh, and then he was never the same. And you got guys just demanding trades because they're unhappy. Well, now it's happening in San Francisco. Debo Samuel, the wide receiver, the the I guess also running back, uh, became kind of a, a saving grace for the 49ers in their playoff run. And he proved himself to be a really multifaceted weapon. And I, I don't know that people looked at him like that even during the season or preseason. And so it's really, I think, quite interesting that there is a now really large market for Debo Samuel. Or I think there are a lot of teams that would be really interested in having Debo Samuel on the outside or in the backfield. And so all of this coming on the heels of Debo Samuel saying he wants out of San Francisco. And when you got guys generally demanding trades, it's usually for contract situations. They're unhappy with the amount of money, the amount of years, whatever it is. They want to restructure because they've gotten better and they've gotten more productive and the organization doesn't want to do it. It doesn't seem to be what's happening here. Um, ESPN.com reported Wednesday that the 49ers want to pay Samuel, but it's not happening because he's cut off all contract talks with the team. According to multiple reports, again, this is from ESPN, it's because he doesn't like the way he's being used in the 49ers offense. He had a historic year playing both wide receiver and running back. Uh, He was a pro bowler, hauled in 1,400 yards, six touchdowns, added uh, over 360 yards on the ground, eight touchdowns on the ground, and he's now the third player in NFL history to finish the season with a 1,000 receiving yards and at least five receiving touchdowns, five rushing touchdowns. I mean, look, you're, you're dealing with somebody who had 1,700 yards from scrimmage, 28% of the 49ers' offensive output. That's the fourth highest percentage of any player in the NFL last year. And because of all of that, he is he doesn't want to be a utility player. Why? Because you're taking... You're, you're, you're the, the wear and tear on the body is that much greater. If, if you're, if you're being tackled out of the backfield, right? If you're a running back being tackled by linemen or being tackled by, uh, uh, linebackers, a lot different than being tackled by a safety or a corner. Right. And so now apparently Debo Samuel isn't comfortable with the way the 49ers are using him. Uh, Ian Rappaport, said there are some questions about some frustrations from his standpoint about his usage takes a lot of hits when he's used like a running back and he's all over the field. Doesn't sound like he's comfortable with the bay with the way he's being used. So Jason, I ask you this. If the Lions said, Hey Debo, we'll match whatever the 49ers are offering and we'll only make you a wide receiver. Is that something you would do? Is that something you'd be interested in right now? Well, yeah, depending on uh, what you have to give back. And there are a few teams on, on his list that have a lot of draft capital. Uh, if I'm if I'm the if I'm the Lions, sure, I'll definitely do it. You you got a nice building block right there. You got somebody uh, in the organization that other players are going to want to come play with. Um, if I'm the Niners, I'm going, okay, all right, well, you know what? We'll we'll scale back on that. We'll either draft a running back or or get a better running back in in their system uh, 
because you you think about it, he, he's he's not he, he doesn't like how he's being used. So, are they telling him, yeah, well, we're still going to use you this way, or would they be up to changing things up? Because you want to keep a player like that. But if yeah, if I'm the Lions, absolutely, I would definitely do it. But um, what are you giving up to get him? Well, that's a that's a very good question. Now, remember, um, San Francisco was just absolutely decimated by by injuries in that running back room, uh, particularly Elijah Mitchell, who was somebody who who I thought really started to turn it on, play really well, um, and and. Uh, Trey Sermon was drafted just what last year. And so they've invested into the running back room, but it was out of necessity really where Debo needed to make the move to, to both running back and receiver. It's really towards the latter half of the NFL season. So I find it interesting and you're right that the, that the 49ers must be telling them, look, we're going to continue to use you this way. This, that we think that you're most effective, this way and he just wants no part of it which tells me a couple of things either they're not really interested in the way Elijah Mitchell Jermichael Hasty, Trey Sermon are running um or they just really like Debo at the position which in that case I guess maybe you'd have to ask him if he would just make the switch to running back full time right like it sounds like he doesn't want to do both and and I'll tell you if I were him I don't know that I'd want to be a running back either you're, you're, I, it's, you know, I just don't know that that's how he wants to be used. And according to a lot of these reports, it doesn't sound like that's the case. Um, but there are a number of other teams that would be interested here too. Um, obviously there's been some shakeup in the wide receiver room in Kansas city. You could see that, uh, playing effect where, where else you see Debo fitting in Jace. Uh, they, the, the, the list of five, according to CBS sports also has maybe the jets, because mm-hmm. the Jets have two top 10 picks, the Lions, because of their draft capital. The Saints, as well, have two picks in the first round, and then the Green Bay Packers. So here's what I here's, – here's kind of where I think this thing stands from a Lions perspective. I don't think they're going to be interested here. And I don't think they're going to be interested here really for one main reason. Not only is it because right now draft capital for this team is so important. They need the picks. They need to find some players before they go out and, 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 you know, court a player like Debo Samuel. That's number one. Number two, I just don't think they're ready yet. I don't think Debo Samuel makes them a playoff contender. I don't think Debo Samuel um, puts them in a position to, 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 to make that postseason push. I just don't, I don't think he does at this point because I think there's too many holes still to fill. So if you're going to, if you're going to, if you're going to trade for Debo, that means you're probably giving up at least a first round pick. Um, and maybe what a second and a third, maybe a player. Um, I just don't think that the lions are in the business as we stand today to make a move like that next year. I could see that happening next year after the season next year. Sure. Um, But to me, I think it's a, I think it's a little premature. And for that reason, I just, I'm not interested in it from a lion's perspective. Is that crazy? 
No, that's not crazy. No, because you're right. The, dra- the draft capital is very important. They have so many holes to fill. This would be this would be a nice uh, this would be a nice piece for uh, you know to to sell jerseys and 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 whatnot. But you're right. They are they they still they they've got to uh, worry about the quarterback of the future and 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 those kind of things. So no, it's not crazy. I mean, it's he's a great player, but you know they, you know they, what this reminds me of. It reminds me of the Blake Griffin trade. That's what this is. Uh, yeah. It would it would be nothing would be. more than and you're right to sell jerseys, to 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 sell apparel. That's what it would be for. The, the Lions are not ready for this. And look, m- maybe I'm totally off my rocker here. And you bring Debo Samuel in, you pair him with Amon Ross St. Brown. You, you, DJ Sharks in the mix now. That's a really nice wide receiver room. I, that's a that's a vastly different wide receiver room than what we had last year. Heck, Josh Reynolds is back too. And so yeah, that would be a nice receiver room. Um, I just don't think that that we're in a position yet. Or conversely, maybe you trade 32 this year, you trade the Lions first round pick next year, or you trade the second round pick this year, the, the Rams first round pick next year, and you bring them in and then you just address defense going forward. Like that's possible too. Um, but I for me right now, I think this Debo Samuel stuff's premature. I'm more interested in the draft capital. I'm more interested in in, in keeping uh, the picks in house and trying to to piece this thing together because I I think the way that Brad Holmes has been able to identify talent, um, I, I'm on board with the Brad Holmes deal here. So I don't think anything's off the table, but I don't know that I'm for it right now. All right, we got to take a quick break. Coming up on the other side, the NCAA has made some rulings on targeting and faking injuries. We'll tell you about the changes, what it could mean for the game next year as we continue on Sports Wrap this Saturday night right here on WJR. Don't go anywhere. More sports rap presented by FanDuel. Download the FanDuel Sports app today. FanDuel, more ways to win. Here's Chris Renwick. Ever since the NCAA came up with the new ruling on targeting, look, and it was focused on player safety, not only for the player that's being hit, but for the player delivering the hit. Um, and and so much has changed in the form tackling and the way guys uh, attack somebody with the ball. And, and it's all done out of player safety, or so they say. And with that, there has been so much nuance around the targeting call. We've seen calls that, that to me, throughout the last couple of years in college football, are very obvious targeting calls. They review it, and they come back and say it wasn't targeting. And then you've got borderline calls where you're like, ah, I can see where he was dipping his head or he was the player was falling down and he just happened to make contact with his with his head otherwise he would have made he would have made contact with his thigh or his midsection and it's all kind of speculative and and um it, it very much is in that particular moment where a lot of those calls are made well now the NCAA college football rules panel has approved changes to the targeting rule and to faking injuries targeting, faking injuries, blocking below the waist at the center of these rule changes 
that were approved Wednesday, they'll take effect immediately. So going into this 2022 college football season, remember anyone ejected for targeting in the second half of a game had to sit out the first half of their team's next game. If you got popped for targeting in the first half of the game, you'd have to sit out the next half for any game that has instant replay. Now conferences will have the right to appeal the decision to the NCAA national coordinator of officials. If video suggests the player shouldn't have been removed because of targeting, the player will be eligible immediately for his team's next game. So this only deals with targeting in the second half. And if they deem that it wasn't actually targeting, they'll be back for the next game, specifically in that first half. Um, According to ESPN, school and conferences will also be able to report scenarios where an opposing team may have been awarded an injury timeout suspiciously. The conference or school involved in the complaint would be able to issue discipline if the national coordinator officiating deems it necessary. Any injured player will still be required to sit out at least one play. And then finally, the committee decided to simplify the rules surrounding blocking below the waist. Linemen and stationary backs blocking below the waist inside the tackle box on scrimmage plays will be permitted. However, anything outside the tackle box will continue to be penalized. All right, let's start with the targeting thing first, because This is a little different, but not drastically different because it's not drastically different in the, in the immediate. If somebody gets popped for targeting in the second half and they get ejected, they're still gone. Even though the school will be able to, uh, to appeal to the, to the highest levels of officiating, it doesn't sound like to me that that will be able to happen in game. So it'll be post game where schools will be able to reach out to the uh, NCAA national coordinator of officials, make the case that it wasn't targeting, and then they'll be back. They'll be eligible to be back in the next game. They won't be able to, they won't have to miss that first half of the next game. So in the immediate, not much changes, but you may only lose your player for anywhere up to, you know, basically two full quarters of football as opposed to four full quarters of football. I don't know that that rule change changes anything drastically, um, but it will give the schools and, and the conferences the ability to make their case that it wasn't targeting. They want an extra look at, um, at the play. So that hopefully you don't lose the player for for basically up to four four full quarters, which I think is fair. Um, I, I wish that it would have been a little more uh, immediate. I wish it would have been a little more like okay, well we can make that a, a appeal instantaneously. But I mean, you're dealing with 130 some uh, college football teams. You're dealing with you know a bunch 60 some games going on in, in one particular moment. So, yeah, I I don't know that it can happen in the immediate, but at least it's a step in the right direction. So if one of your guys gets popped for targeting, they may not be gone for the next game. Um, In the meantime, what what I find to be pretty interesting here is the rule on uh, faking injuries. And and basically, 
the discipline that could stem from that. Schools and conferences have the ability to report scenarios where an opposing team may have been awarded an injury timeout when guys weren't actually injured, which I find to be really interesting because that is, it's basically hearsay. It's basically, well, we don't think the player was actually injured and they were awarded the injury timeout because of, you know, wanting to, to maybe they were out of timeouts. And if a guy goes down and gets the injury timeout, uh, the team's able to huddle up and, and, come up with a game plan going for when, when they burned all their timeouts. So that's going to be really interesting to see how they handle this, because that to me is, it's really speculative. It's really hearsay. Um, so I don't know. It's going to be really, I, I think that's going to be a fascinating rule change going forward. What, what do you think of these Jason? Well, good luck trying to figure out if a player is actually injured or not. I think that's a, uh, <laughs> that's a tough one. Uh, as far as the targeting, yeah, I wish they could do it instantaneously. It's too bad that they can't uh, kind of like they do instant replay in baseball or something where they could go go to the headset and, and have someone somewhere uh, that can determine that. That's also it's it's tough to uh, to figure out if, you know. I mean, it's, it's just a judgment call. So uh, I do, I, I, I like the fact that if, if, if they do appeal and, and they're successful that, they they a team possibly could get their player back for the first half of the next game because you don't know which you know what if it's a Michigan player and he he's a top defensive guy and he's going to miss the first half of the Ohio State game so I I think at least they'll they will get a chance to appeal so that doesn't happen I like it for that fact look I I hear you for me I, I if this doesn't go quite as far as I'd like it to I, I would like this to be instantaneous I'd like for them to be able to to make that call in game because look we, we've seen it time and time again where, where these players get called for targeting in big spots important players and that can absolutely change the the outcome of the game game plans change the way that you deploy your defense or the way that the the other team is going to attack you offensively, it absolutely changes. And so for me, I don't know if this goes far enough for my liking. If you make the call and the the head official's office deems it to be a a legit, correct call, then fine. Everybody can, can, can head back to their corners. But if it's not, and it's a really bad judgment call on the field, even after the, the, the targeting replay, no, I, I would like that to be addressed as soon as possible. But it, it, I, I understand how unattainable that probably is. But for my liking, it just it just doesn't go quite far enough. But look, I, I think that they're they're at least making a stride and they can at least test this out. And if it, if it becomes something where the NCAA offices feel like they can handle that or they feel like they can the 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 head officials can handle that type of of uh review in real time. And that's something that they can handle. I'm all for it. The injury stuff to me, I don't know how this is going to work out to me. It feels, it feels like they're trying to address something with no real answer into how, into how you address it. Because unless you're going to go to other, the, the opposing team and check their medical reports or check to see, um, you know, what happened, I, I don't know. I don't know how you, I don't know how you, 
I don't know how you keep on top of that from from uh, a, from an opponent's perspective. I want an X-ray on that ankle. Right. After the game, you know. Right. What I, mean? <laughs> I, I and and then what's going to happen is these teams are going to end up. You know, if, if somebody's grabbing their ankle, two minutes left in the game, they got no timeouts because they just want to huddle. Well, the teams are just going to take these guys, run them through an X-ray machine to show them that they did the due diligence. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. Even uh, if the if the sideline doctor says, "Nah, he's okay. It's a it's a sprain or whatever it is. He'll be able to go back in." No, they're going to want to run you through the 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 X ray machine. They're going to want to because they I I don't I don't know how they're going to be able to police this, There's but no we'll way. see. It's going to be interesting. Uh, coming up next, I want to do a little more college football talk because, uh, look, I, I, I'm very excited for the NFL draft, but geez, I, I want to have a little fun college football wise. Bring your money to the table. What are you betting? Which is an outlandish, wild bet. I need, I need crazy. Give me your craziest bet on this upcoming college football season. We'll do that next. The sports wrap continues here on WJ. Now back to more sports wrap. Presented by FanDuel. Download the FanDuel Sports app today. FanDuel, more ways to win. Here's Chris Renwick. All right, I want to have a little college football fun. Uh, Josh Pate, who's with 24-7 Sports, CBS Sports, came out with a tweet a couple of days ago. He said, what's your boldest college football opinion you would actually bet money on? This is your, your boldest 2022 college football opinion that you'd actually put some scratch on. And I gave this a lot of thought and you know, I'm a Michigan fan and, and I, I don't do a lot of betting on my own team. I I try to stay away from it. Now I don't always adhere to that rule, but I try. Um, but I, I was thinking about this and, and look, Jason, you're probably going to call me nuts. You're probably going to call me a homer. And I'm okay with all of that. Um, Because here is my bold college football opinion. And it centers around the Michigan Wolverines football team. Here's what I'm taking to the, to, to the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Are you ready? I, and it's a parlay. It's a same-game parlay plus on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. My parlay is Michigan football has wins against Penn State, Michigan State, and Ohio State. They go 3-0 against the big teams on the schedule. That means that Michigan gets a win against Ohio State in the shoe. Something that they haven't done in, I I don't even know how long. I'm not sure I've been alive. That's my bold. Is that bold? Is that, am I flat out nuts? What what, what do you you make of that? Because look, I I don't feel, I'll tell you, I don't feel great about it. (laughs) I I don't feel great about it. But if I'm I'm being asked on on a crazy bold college football bet that I'm taking to the FanDuel Sportsbook app. That would be my, my Buku bet. What's, what's your, the, what's your bet? 
the uh, is the Spartan is the Spartan game at home or away? Uh, the the Michigan Michigan State game will be in Ann Arbor this year. So that's in Ann Arbor. Penn State, I can see him being. Yeah, that's not too crazy. I, I like it. Wow. All um, right. My bold prediction um, would probably be, um, and 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 Josh, I don't know how you would really bet on. I'm not a big betting guy, but um, he's predicting that the Texas Longhorns are going to have the top scoring offense in in, in the upcoming college football season. And then we know Texas hasn't been very good in a while. Um, so if they are going to have the the best scoring offense in the country, I would go to the pay window and say that uh, they would win uh, 10 games or more. So whatever their over-under is, I would say. Texas? That they would. Yeah, yeah. That is a bold prediction. <laughs> that is a bold prediction. Steve Sarkeesian might be on his way out in Austin. So the the odds would be good. So that would be yeah. if that were to come true, it'd be a good moneymaker, right? That's there. a bold prediction. Here, here's why I'm I'm pretty bullish on the Wolverines this year. First of all, um, I don't believe that Mel Tucker wins three in a row against Michigan. I don't. And I think Mel Tucker has turned out to be a wonderful coach. Um, I think he's building a heck of a program in East Lansing. Um, but I don't know that even as as good of a track record as Mel Tucker has in the portal, uh, I don't think you're getting a a a, a Kenny Walker the third every year. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that the the Spartans won't be as good. So I feel pretty good about about that one. Penn State I think is in a bit of a flux. Um, I, I don't really know where they're going to be at. I think that they could be pretty bad. You know, they started off the year pretty good. That The wheels kind of fell off against uh, Iowa late uh, or m- middle of the season. That was a big game at Kinnick, a uh, night game at Kinnick. Um, and the wheels just kind of fell off. And, um, and then they were pretty abysmal the rest of the way. And so I'm going to say I feel pretty good about that one too. It's the Michigan game at Ohio State at the shoe. Haven't won there in in ninety seven years, I think, and I, I I don't know. I just think that that as magical and as as uh, really dominating as that win was against Ohio State in November, um, something tells me that 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 this team has figured out a way to to prioritize Ohio State. They found a way to prioritize beating the Buckeyes. They found a way to prioritize putting that chip on their shoulder and saying, we're done being the whipping boy. I think they've prioritized the Buckeyes. And and for me, um, I, I hope and I believe that they will take that chip that they've put on their shoulder and I think that they will take that down to Columbus and make the win. Like that, to me, is the boldest prediction of all. Um, you know, uh, as as good of a program as Mel Tucker's building in East Lansing, I'm just I, I don't I, to me, I think it's you know I I, I think you got to be a little careful. You know, seeing guys like Speedy Nail are gone, uh, and 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 obviously Kenneth Walker the third going to the NFL. To me, you just got to be careful of the offensive output that you'll be able to to, to put out there. Obviously, Jaden Reed's back. It's a huge uh, uh, addition as I look at it uh, going into this year. 
uh, because he very well could have uh, declared for the NFL draft and been a, a, a you know a top three round draft pick. Um, but with all that being said, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bullish on the Wolverines this year, and and I feel like for the first time, Michigan fans have the ability to be bullish on their team. Um, hasn't happened in in you know almost 20 years, and so you take it, and, and then conversely, you say, look. Uh, until you show me otherwise, I'm going to say you're the top dog. Um, all right, that's going to do it for us tonight. Back with you tomorrow right here, 6 to 7 on WJR Sports Rep. Have yourself a wonderful, wonderful evening.